Okay, let's do some NFL Sunday topics. I want to mainly do NFC today, but let's start with a few AFC topics. And let's start with the Chiefs. Sunday night going to Las Vegas, beat the Raiders 41-14, to taking the lead in the AFC West. And the main sentiment out of this game is the Chiefs are back on track. Super Bowl team, how do we ever count this team out? But, you know, as a guy that's watched every single snap of the Chiefs' first 10 games, they were still doing stuff offensively that got them into trouble the first nine games of the season. Mahomes, no interceptions, but he threw like three, four interceptable passes. There are two uh, passes that should have been intercepted that were dropped, and there's another one where Mahomes just throws it up to the running back who's being covered by the safety, and you feel like, you know, 99 out of 100 times, the running back doesn't come down with that play, especially Darrell Williams, who can catch these short passes in the flat, but he's not like a Cordero Patterson where he can flex as a receiver. So I thought that was a really bad decision by Mahomes, continuing to make uh, these decisions where you're like, you know, what's going on? There's also these other throws where he's trying to force it into double coverage to McCole Hardman, not even Tyreek Hill or Kelsey, but he's trying to fit it into these small crevices to Hardman, who's not a great receiver, doesn't have great hands, and could have easily inter- uh, you know, been tipped or intercepted, anything like that. Throws one up to the running back, and you know the, the final score, 41-14, it looks like a blowout, but the Raiders, if Deshaun Jackson doesn't fumble it and after that long catch from Derek Carr, they go score a touchdown. It's a three-point game. And if you couple that with one of the dropped interceptions by the Raiders, it's a completely different game. And the margins of victory in the NFL are so slim, so many different details, so many different pieces that can affect a win or a loss in the NFL. And so it looked like a big win for the Chiefs, but there's still some plays. Mahomes still missed some deep balls. Um, but Derek Carr... You can kind of tell. I've seen Derek Carr play so many times. Looking to his eyes, what type of Derek Carr you're going to get. And it's weird. It's like Derek Carr has an alter ego who comes out like three times a year. And he's the best quarterback in the league. And normally, one of those three is against the Chiefs. So we'll, maybe we'll get him later in the year. But that was not him tonight. And you can kind of see in his eyes, when you've seen a quarterback play so many times, you can kind of feel what type of quarterback, what type of confidence he's going in. It seemed like the Raiders... They came in a little tight while the Chiefs came in really loose. The best performance so far through 10 games, but there's still a lot of mistakes. Mahomes missing on deep balls. The run selection, we can't run Darrell Williams east-west. He has to get downhill. It's like sometimes we'll hand him these handoffs out of shotgun, and it's almost like he thinks the end zone is the sideline, and he's just sprinting sideways. And I'm like, dude, at some point – You got to turn your shoulders and go downhill. And maybe that's just me. I was always a downhill runner, kind of a guy that that would just plant my foot and get straight downhill and get you, you know, four yards in a cloud of dust. But Daryl, he's trying to go, you know, east-west. And so it's it's like, that was strange. That was strange. We we were much better running downhill. But it was a good win, six and four. It's a scrappy six and four, but – we were fortunate Derek Carr did not have a great game. He he became addicted to throwing the arm punt. It looked like he, he got his arms extra oiled up. 
did some bicep curls beforehand and he was just like, cool. I look, you know, my arms look huge. I'm going to show off my arm. And he basically just started playing 500 with the chief secondary and like one Raiders receiver. And Sorensen came down with an interception somehow. And I just hope we don't get cocky Sorensen now where he's like, yeah, I intercepted a pass. I'm a game changer. I'm Trevion Diggs. And now after one interception, he just starts to jump routes, try to jump routes and give up even more deep passes. Let's hope that doesn't happen. But let's shift to a team that doesn't give up any deep passes or really any big plays in the pass game. That's the Green Bay Packers. They win 17-0 at home against the Seahawks. Seahawks weren't able to generate much of any offense. And listen to the Green Bay pass defense. So when targeting receivers... Green Bay is giving up the lowest completion percentage, the second to fewest yards per attempt, second most interceptions with 10, and oh yeah, they're all pro cornerback. Jair Alexander has been out since week four. They're seventh in pass defense EPA. And I think the biggest takeaway from the Packers game was how important home field advantage is. Winning in Lambeau when it's cold and it's going to be getting colder and colder as we get into December and January, it's a huge advantage for the Packers. It's a big home field advantage for the Packers that are used to playing in the cold. Rodgers is used to throwing the football in the cold. Devontae Adams and those receivers are used to catching the ball when it's 10 degrees outside. And it really affects other teams that aren't used to it. Seattle isn't used to it. Arizona is not used to it. Other Dallas is not used to it. A lot of dome teams are not used to playing in the cold weather, playing in Lambeau Field. And this is why each game in the NFC at the top is really important to who is going to get that one seed and who is going to get home field advantage throughout. And it's really important for the Packers. And I'm really high on the Packers right now. I talked about their pass defense earlier. They are susceptible on the ground. So they're 27th in EPA when it is a run play. However, when you look at the top of the NFC, let's see who we have. We have the Cowboys. They love to throw the football. We've got the Cardinals. They love to throw the football. Tampa Bay Buccaneers love to throw the football. LA Rams not only love to, but they have to throw the football. And all of these teams, all the teams at the top of the NFC have really showed some holes the past couple weeks. It's strange. All of them started to show some weakness. We had the Cowboys getting blown out by the Broncos. We have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers losing to the Washington football team where Heineke finished the game with like an 11-minute drive and converted so many third downs against that defense. And then we've got the Rams who get blown out at home against the Titans. And then the Cardinals lost head-to-head at home against the Packers when the Packers' whole receiving core was wiped out. And then they lose last week, but no Kyler Murray, so you can't put too much stock into that game. But a lot of these top NFC teams are vulnerable. The Cowboys' secondary is not as good as we thought. Trevion Diggs, yeah, he's going to get some interceptions, but there's some big plays to be had against him. The Cardinals, I still don't trust Kyler Murray's health. We said this at the beginning of the year when, you know, Kyler's the MVP favorite. They're the last undefeated team. 
This happened. This happened the past couple years where he gets injured right around midseason, and then he comes back and he's not the same guy. And I think that's why Cliff is holding him out. You know, another week this past week because they don't want to rush him back and, and have you know seventy percent of Kyler Murray. They're trying to get him back to a hundred percent health because of what happened last year. And I think Tampa Bay secondary is a real concern. I mean, Taylor Heineke diced them up, but it's not only that, they've got so many injuries in the secondary. It seems like Richard Sherman, every single pregame, like every other week, he comes up with a calf strain or something like that. And their secondary, their cornerbacks weren't good to begin with. And they're, they're getting hit with a lot of injuries. And we've seen it, you know, the past few years. Usually the teams that are still standing in the final four in the, in the championship games are teams that are really healthy. And the Bucks were really healthy last year, and it just doesn't seem like they had the same luck this year. And without Antonio Brown, without Gronkowski, this offense takes a step back. When teams are running so many four-receiver, three-receiver route concepts, having a deep receiving core is really important. Having Antonio Brown as your slot third receiver is an incredible advantage against a number three cornerback. It's a huge, huge mismatch that without him on the field, the Tampa Bay can no longer take advantage of that. So right now, when you're looking at the NFC, Green Bay has got to be the team that you trust the most because you look at their two losses and they're basically both throwaway losses. Like not every loss is created the same way. Some losses, you're like, yeah, we got exposed for X, Y, and Z, or this team isn't, wasn't as good. But there's others where it's like, yeah, this was just a weird game and it counts as a loss on the record, but in reality, it didn't really show that much. And we look at Green Bay's losses. Uh, the first week one, 38-3 to Saints, that was just one of those games. It was week one coming off a chaotic offseason and it's not like Green Bay was exposed for any deficiency. It was a weird game, throwaway game. And their second loss was to the Chiefs where... They didn't have Aaron Rodgers, their most important player, their best player. And, oh, yeah, they almost won that game. They only lost by six points with Rodgers in there. You're pretty certain the Packers take care of business. So, so far, I think they've been the best team in the NFC, and it just comes down to can they get that one seed? I think the one seed is really important. You get the home field advantage, and you're also the only team in the NFC that gets a bye week. And with this extra long season, I know it's just one game, but it does feel like the season is a lot longer um, despite just being one week. But I think that extra bye week is really important. Um, so we look at the rest of the Packers schedule and there's a clutter. There's four teams at the top of the NFC with two losses. So we've got the Rams, the Packers, the Cardinals, and Dallas. And so looking at Green Bay's schedule, so with all those teams at two losses, I think three losses gets you the one seed. So I think Green Bay can afford to drop one game. However, they do have a game against the Rams, and that's in a couple weeks. That's on the 28th, and that's in Green Bay against the Rams. And this is back to, to my first point, playing in Lambeau. If there's one quarterback, one team that I think is least fit to win a game in Lambeau, I think it's the L.A. Rams. And I think playing in L.A. for half the games, being in nice weather for the majority of the fall – I think when you go into Green Bay, it's a little, it's it's not as easy as you would think playing in that really cold weather. And especially Matt Stafford 
has not had a lot of success playing in Green Bay. Green Bay knows Stafford. The Rams are not known to be the most hard, physical team. A little finesse on the offensive end. A lot of passing. Wins passing the ball, not great. It's not great in the wind and in the cold and in Lambeau. And so this could be a preview of a game that we see in January in the playoffs in Green Bay. And I think there's a big difference between this game being played at Lambeau and this game being played in SoFi. So that's why that game in two weeks is so important for the Packers to win. Helps get them a step closer to the one seed in the NFC and winning that tiebreaker against the Rams. Let's finish up with some college football playoff talk. And have you ever had a take that not only are you convinced is the correct take, but also that it's going to be the most popular take, that it is not a hot take. It's, you know, everyone is going to think what I'm thinking. This is not a unique take. I'm not zagging. And that's the situation I'm in with the Cincinnati Bearcats. For the past four to five weeks, ever since Cincinnati beat Notre Dame, everyone has been saying, we want Cincinnati in the college playoff. How are they not in the top four? They're undefeated. What else do you want this Cincinnati team to do? All that stuff the past four or five weeks, you've heard it. Everyone's heard it. Why can't this little group of five team make it into the college football playoff? And my take, which surprisingly to me, I'm in the minority, is look, Cincinnati... Yeah, they beat Notre Dame by 11 points. But other than that, if you look at their schedule, it's been horrible. And not only has their schedule been really bad, but they're not even going out and blowing out teams. And this is not the BCS thing where you're like, you got to win with style points. You got to win 66 to 10 to really make the computer systems acknowledge that big win. We're talking seven points to a two and seven Navy team. They won 27-20. They beat Tulsa at home by just eight points, and Tulsa had it on Cincinnati's goal line at the end to try and tie it with a touchdown and two-point conversion. South Florida, last week, two and eight, hangs around with Cincinnati, um, even only beating Indiana by 10 points. It's throughout the whole season, Cincinnati has not been good. And my take is, why do we want to see Cincinnati in the Final Four? We've already seen how this goes with a better team in Notre Dame. Aren't we all sick of seeing Notre Dame in the college football playoff then they lose 48-0 to Alabama or Ohio State? We've already seen this play out. Now we've got a Cincinnati team that is less talented, has less good wins, and is barely sneaking past really bad teams. And so what I would say to the Cincinnati stands and the coalition of Cincinnati Bearcat supporters that seem to be popping up everywhere and they're going around saying what else do you want us to do we're winning all our games all that stuff what you know what else could we do a group of five team can't make it if this Cincinnati team can't make the top four this is all rigged well you know what I would ask you guys to do number one beat more than one ranked team schedule more than one ranked competent team and two when you do play the bad teams don't let them hang around throughout the fourth quarter because you know what that says that you're not that good, really good teams, Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama, Oregon. Not only do they win these games against the lower tier teams in their conference, they blow them out. And that's part of the reason why we know these teams are good and deserve to be in the top four is because they don't just win 
these games against the lower tier teams. They blow them out. And that's a metric, a real metric that should be used and I think is used in the college football playoff committee to determine how good a team is. Is are, Do they have the firepower? Are they blowing teams out? We saw Ohio State last week against, this wasn't even against a bad team, against Purdue. They blow them out. They drop like 60 on them. And so that's part of what Cincinnati is lacking. They have not had that big bury a team in the first quarter like a lot of these other top teams have. And that is a real thing that the committee looks at, and rightfully so, because I think it's an important measure to see how good, what's the top end, what's the ceiling of a team. So let's take a look at the college football playoff rankings, and there's not going to be much movement or any movement at all in the top seven, because all those teams took care of business. Um, The only movement would be eight. Oklahoma loses to Baylor, so they're seemingly out of it, although the Big 12 is still somewhat in it. They've got a chance, but a bunch of things have to happen. They no longer have a team in that conference that controls their own destiny. But let's start with number one, Georgia. They're the only team left with some wiggle room, the only team that can lose a game and still make it. They're undefeated right now. So we're going to assume for the rest of this segment discussion that Georgia is in, and I don't think that's a very big assumption. So we've got three spots left. The second spot is going to be taken by a one-loss Big Ten team. So despite Michigan losing to Michigan State, Ohio State losing early to Oregon, and Michigan State losing to Purdue last week, all three teams control their own destiny. So, And so now we're left with two slots open for, let's say, I'll be generous, five teams left for these remaining two slots. So let's start with Oregon. One lost team. They lost to Stanford. Uh, tough loss, but they do have a big win, as I mentioned earlier, against Ohio State. They've also beaten UCLA. And they've got a couple tough games left. They're going to have to beat Utah, who I think is in the top 25 right now. They're going to have to beat them twice. If you are Notre Dame or Cincinnati or Oklahoma State, so if you're either of those three teams, you're rooting for Oregon to lose one of those games against Utah. Second thing you're rooting for, you're hoping for Alabama to lose one more time. So they've got Auburn left, and then obviously the SEC championship. I don't think a two-loss Bama gets in. The real test, obviously, is the SEC championship game against Georgia. So there's a big opportunity for Alabama to lose that and open the door for another team. So let's assume that Oregon wins out. They take care of business. They beat Utah twice. We've got the one-loss Big Ten team we've got Georgia. So that's three of the four seats are taken. And we're going to assume now Alabama loses to Georgia, which is very possible, greater than a 50% chance, or they could lose to Auburn. So one of those two, I would say there's 65% chance that happens. So we've got one spot left for Notre Dame, Cincinnati, and Oklahoma State. Here's the thing for Notre Dame. They played Cincinnati head-to-head and they lost. Notre Dame needs Cincinnati to lose. They play SMU, which is a decent team later on. Um, But it's really going to be down to Cincinnati and then the Big 12 team. And I think if Cincinnati wins out, I mean, Oklahoma State was 10th in the poll coming into this, uh, and they beat TCU. They're going to have another good win against Oklahoma, assuming they win out. But is that going to be enough to make up four or five spots and jump Cincinnati? 
it's a tough call because we've already seen what they think of Oklahoma State. They're 10th despite only having that one loss on the road to Iowa State. We look at their wins. They beat Texas on the road. Turns out Texas, not great. They did beat Baylor, and they will beat Oklahoma, assuming we're assuming they win out. So they'll have a couple good wins, but, I mean, they're ranked behind Notre Dame. So I guess a win over Oklahoma at the end of the year is going to push them over leapfrog Notre Dame, who has a really easy schedule the rest of the way. But when we compare Oklahoma State to Cincinnati, and of course, if they actually play, I think the line would probably be around 10 in Oklahoma State's favor. Oklahoma State's the better team. They've got a really good defense, good quarterback, amazing running game. The last few weeks, I mean, 63-17 over TCU, 55-3 against Kansas, 24-3 against West Virginia. They've been really good. But are there enough good wins left to leapfrog a team in Cincinnati? That's five rankings ahead of them. They go to Texas Tech and they host Oklahoma, who will probably be ranked 12th, 13th, 14th. So they've got you know a couple opportunities. Texas Tech is 6-4, and four, not a bad team. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. I think that's what it's going to come down to because I really think Alabama is going to lose to Georgia in the SEC championship game. And there's going to be a slot open and it's going to come down to Cincinnati and Oklahoma State. And let's just hope it's Oklahoma State because they would give, they would lose, but at least their defense, their running game, they would make it somewhat competitive against Georgia. We know what would happen with Cincinnati. And look, Oklahoma State, they've just beaten a lot more good teams in Cincinnati. They deserve to be in the playoff. They, their loss was three points on the road. They're the better team. And let's just hope Cincinnati loses a game so we don't have to worry about them. But uh, that's it for College Football Talk and today's episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And I'll be back in a few days.